Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now. We've got a great show lined up for you tonight. Uh, later on, we're going to have uh, Rob Hater on the show, who, of course, many will remember from his recent uh, middle uh, bit on the movie Deadpool, in which he played Bob. So we'll be talking to him later on. Uh, but before we get to that, um, I'd like to welcome Raisa and Craig back to the back to the show. We're going to be going over some TV news, and a little bit later on, Craig and I are going to sort of like have a little bit of a Deadpool discussion in order to sort of like lead into uh, Rob's interview here. So, um, so first off, um, I think you guys wanted to discuss Agents of Shield. Yep, yep. that's a good one to start on. Uh-huh. Yes, and I really appreciated that we're finally getting some momentum with Hive because he was just sort of hanging out for a yeah. while. It reminded me of um, I forget the character's name now, an angel, the hunter that was hunting them across Europe who got resurrected in the present. It reminded me of that, him just kind of sitting around watching TV and gathering his strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Holtz, that was it. Yeah, yeah. We've only just started getting uh, Hive here, you know, because basically, um, what's the name of the agent now? I keep forgetting his name, he's, he's instantly forgettable. Oh, pardon? Ward. Ward, Ward. yeah. Uh, well, you know, so like, um, basically in the UK, uh, Ward has basically just been possessed by Hive and it's sort of like, it's one episode in. Right. So I think we're quite a way behind. Hmm. Not that bad, actually. I think it's only a week. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, they've, they've kind of introduced um and we, we had the intro of that Spanish woman. Uh, oh, who, yes. Who, who can oh. move really fast in, what, in the space of one heartbeat. And that was the last episode I seen. Yeah, slingshot, but not slingshot. Yeah, yeah, the color yo-yo. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I thought that was pretty cool. Well, that's the um, that's actually the the real name of the comic book character. Mm-hmm. What's the real name's yo-yo something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of liking where it's going. It's not not quite as fun as Agent Carter to watch, but <laughs> you're still upset about that. But that's a separate conversation. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's it's sort of slow going, you know, they're doing that kind of thing where they've got some time to kill, so they've just got people sitting around. Um, but I really like the, the discussion about what to do about the humans and how you've got Daisy and Lincoln both on different sides of the argument, but they're both making sort of valid points, yes. you know, about people choosing whether they want to become inhuman or not. Yeah. And basically, uh, Marvel can use the inhumans as their surrogate mutants because they can't use mutants. Mm-hmm. I also like the uh, the 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 conversation uh, between Coulson and the president. You know, the president saying, "I want you guys to be our black ops." Yeah. You know, yeah. where, where um, our, our organization will be the legitimate face. You, yeah. you guys be be our black ops sort of thing. 
Poor out of his depth, President Ellis. Plus, yeah. yeah. and I love, I love that they got William Sadler back for that. Yeah, although <laughs> if you look at the timelines, is he not like is he not maybe due up on his term? <laughs> he might be, which might be part of his problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Unless he, unless he, um, you know, uh, espouses extreme, you know, very left wing policies and um, does a Dwight T. Eisenhower and stays in office. Um, but for four terms. <laughs> was that well, four terms or was it three terms he did? Not sure. No, I'm, I'm talking, I was thinking of Roosevelt actually, not Eisenhower. Roosevelt was four. Yeah, I was thinking of Roosevelt. Um, but, you know, so like, um, they, they, they could have presidents that do four terms in the Marvel Universe. That's mm-hmm. what it could be. Yeah, or it could, um, yeah, or it could just be that, um, you know, he's on his first term and, Maybe got elected for a second. We don't really see that. Or maybe, yeah. maybe what's happened in Marvel Agents of Shield so far over the past uh, three years—it's only been in the space of a couple of months in real time. I think it does pretty much follow the timeline of the films because they did, you know, the the Winter Soldier crossover season one, season two had um, Avengers two. Um, this season, I presume, will have a Civil War tie-in at some point. So I think it is roughly real time in mm-hmm. effect. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind kind of looking forward to Civil War. I'm quite kind kind of looking forward to seeing how they tie into it if they, if at all they do. I'm sure they will. It's just how clumsy it'll be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the first time they did it, it was it was quite a surprise and how how they did it. It kind of snuck up on you. Whereas now, you're kind of expecting it to tie into the films. Yeah, but the Winter Soldier one was fundamental for for changing Shield as a show. Whereas Age of Ultron kind of was, but they, they ruined the reveal of that, um, what Coulson was hiding by pointing out it was just the helicarrier, mm-hmm. which was, you know, oh, was that it? Yeah, it was, was all expecting something a little bit bigger. Whereas, yeah. uh, whereas with Civil War, that could also be quite essential to the show because you've got, you know, you've got the whole thing where, you know, and this is classic Watchmen because they it, it, it had the same sort of argument in Watchmen. Whereas um, they're, they're talking about whether whether the superhero should actually be registered. Yeah, um, and that's essentially the. Well, I don't know if that's what the film's going for, but that's what the basis of Civil War actually is. I, uh, I think the film is kind of going for that. Otherwise, what's the point of it? Yeah, yeah, it's the idea that that superheroes should be held accountable for all the damage they cause and all that kind of stuff. So there's a strong argument there, but. The problem with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is it doesn't have any superhero characters, certainly not ones that are known publicly. So, you know, asking Daisy to register would be pointless because no one really knows that S.H.I.E.L.D. exists. Mm. That's a fair point. That's that's, that's actually a good point. And um, even less people know that S.H.I.E.L.D. exists now with it being Black Ops because as far as the outside world is concerned... uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. was disbanded after Mm. um, after Captain America. Yeah. You know, so... Um, so, is there anything else Shield related that we that we're sort of like maybe hankering or looking forward to? Is it this week we find out why Bobby and Hunter leave? Ah, uh, yes, yes, this coming week. Cool, because um, they started to sort of see it in the last episode where she um, they mentioned about I think it was Hunter mentioned about being on their own or you know or yeah, yeah. There, there was something along those lines. Yeah, they're they're. They're jettisoning Agent Carter for Marvel's Most Wanted, whether we want it or not. Well, the last thing I read was um, Agent Carter's future wasn't, you know, cut and dry. They might bring it back. That's what I read as well. There was actually actually someone posted on Facebook um, a couple of weeks ago that he actually is coming back. But then I went to read the actual article. It, It was more, it was reading more along the lines of what you're saying, Craig. But it might be coming back. That's not been decided yet. Yeah, the article wasn't the most reputable of sources either. Mm. Could have just been someone looking for some cheap traffic and decided to make something up. Mm-hmm. More, more than likely, that does actually happen. 
Um, not quite as often as it used to, but it does. <laughs> Although if they announce renewal, it won't be until what later, much later in the year. It, yeah, probably sort of t- towards May. It, yeah. it won't be because if you remember last year, they didn't they didn't announce it until sort of like getting on towards the. Um, they announced it last year, shortly before Comic Con, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. So and then because you know, obviously, it fills a gap in the running of Shield, so um, they, I, they don't really have to move on it as quickly. But I also think what 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 what's got people concerned and what's got people thinking it's not coming back is because Hayley Atwell has taken on a regular TV role on another series. Yeah. With ABC, though, you could get the filming schedules about right, I would say. They, they say, I've read articles that say that she could do both shows. but I mean, and, and she could. But realistically, will she do both shows? We'll have to, we'd have to see. Well, she, she's went on record saying how much she loves playing Peggy Carter. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it could be that, that, that sways her back if they decide to renew it. But I think in terms of scheduling, they need to be a bit smarter about it. Maybe if they put it on like after Shield, yeah. you know, for eight weeks, then people who are watching Shield might be like, "I'll stick around and watch this anyway." Do you know? Yeah. What, do you know? What I think they should actually do. They should drop the idea of doing it as a series and maybe do sort of like a movie every year. You know, like a TV movie. Yeah, that could work. Um, yeah. I mean, whether whether or not they that, that it'd be budgetly, you know, budgetary plausible for them to do that. I don't know, but maybe that would actually work more as an event sort of thing, as as opposed to a series where you where, where you're actually having to make a commitment to it. Yeah, um, I mean Marvel could do whatever they want with it, pretty much. I dare say she's going to continue showing up in the films in some form or another. And there's always scope for her to turn up in flashbacks of S.H.I.E.L.D. So mm-hmm. they could continue her story there. So maybe if this new show that she's in takes up all her time, then there will be time for her to film the odd flashback sequence. Well, I really, want, I really want to see her become uh, the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because, you know, in, 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 in the... Uh, in that version of the comic book universe that they're drawing from, she's the first head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. And yes, I, I, I really want to see that happen. I do too. You probably need Tommy Lee Jones for that, though. Mm. Well, you know, he's getting on a bit now. We could probably get him to do do TV episode or two. Yeah, just in Winter Soldier, the three photos are Harsh Stark and uh, Tommy Lee Jones, whatever his character's mm-hmm. name was. Yeah, and, and I thought Tommy Lee Jones was fantastic in that, and he, he he's someone that I do want to see again. Yeah, he was being, he was very good at being Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, that's <laughs> what, that's, worked for that film. That's what I that's what I like about him. He is very <laughs> good at being Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, I I I, I loved him in Fugitive and and um, and that that other movie that they did, which was kind of like a spin-off from it with uh, Wesley Snipes. Mm. <laughs> it's just a, uh, I just think he's brilliant at that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, he's very good at what he does, and I, I hopefully they could coax him into the odd episode here and there just to. He wouldn't need to be around for long. I think it would just be the initial setup of Shield as an organisation. Then maybe he says, "I'm going to run the overseas branch or something." Then, mm-hmm. and then he gets shot in the end. Yeah, or but, just or retires because he's old. Mm. I think it'd probably be better for him to get shot because Tommy Tommy E. Jones doesn't retire. <laughs> he goes out a hero. That's <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> it's one of them. It's kind of like. Uh, it's, it's kind of like that, you know, that that whole Chuck Norris thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Chuck Norris doesn't retire. <laughs> Even though he probably should. 
<laughs> okay, um, so um, moving on from Marvel Universe to another element in the Marvel Universe now. Um, I know, Ray, you see you, you're not going to be able to see this. No, I, I don't watch it. I don't, think, to me. I don't think you're a fan of it anyway because it's too dark. But Daredevil, I've, you know, I've seen the first five episodes and I've loved it. I love, I love how they, they've done The Punisher. They they've knocked the Punisher out of the park. It's song like it's it's um it's song like it's they've redeemed him. In, well, I mean, I thought of... Tom Jane was good, and I still do. But yeah, John Bernthal is is another level entirely. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that's to do with the writing. He's you know the psychopath that he should be. Yeah, well, I thought I, I like yourself. Like yourself, I thought Tom Jane was was absolutely you know spot on. But unfortunately, um, he, he went up against a, a pretty poor villain in the form of John Travolta and. And that, and and they also relocated it to Miami, so it didn't really feel as much like the Punisher. Yeah, as, the short film he was in does. I've not seen laundry or something. It's, I've not seen it. It's on YouTube. It's um, done by the same guys that did that Power Rangers thing mm-hmm. last year. But John John Benfall, he's a uh, he's really knocked out of the park. I mean, I, I love the, the the third episode where he's got Daredevil tied up. Yeah. And, and, and they, they discuss their uh, vigilante justice ideas. Yeah, they, they, they're basically discussing, you know, the, the, the differences between them, whereas, uh, you know, the Punisher sees Daredevil as a half measure yeah. sort of thing. And it's just a brilliant argument. It's a brilliant character piece and argument that goes throughout the whole thing. Um, and it's completely ruined when they introduce Anetra. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Electra is called Electra, but she's not Electra. Um, mm. And the thing is, she doesn't really have any agency outside of, um, you know, serving the needs of the, the male characters in the plot. That's all she's kind of there for, to distract Matt Murdock from what he's really supposed to be doing. Mm. But yeah, she's she's played pretty well. I think the actress they got is pretty good, but... Yeah, she's... She's just not... She doesn't... She's not a fully formed character at all. She's not... She's just sort of like there to uh, provide a little bit of sexual tension. Yeah. And, and that's not really there either. But yeah, she's a distraction, that's all. They didn't really find anything else to do with her. Yeah, I mean, that, that's uh, that to me, I've only seen her first episode, and that to me is sort of like a little bit of a letdown. I was hoping that there'd be more to it than that. Yeah, she drags down the back half of the season when, you know, it should be focusing on the Punisher. It focuses on Elektra and Daredevil taking down a cult of ninjas. Mm-hmm. I've also enjoyed the development with Foggy this season. Foggy is, you know, I mean, he was great last season, but he's even better now. He is, but you know, if you remember last season, the, the, you know, when Foggy found out about Matt Murdock and Daredevil and and all that, that that whole episode where their friendships just seem to be deconstructed on the screen, and you know, the the tension between them throughout that throughout that back half of the season. Yeah. It's just sort of like brilliantly played, you know, between both of them. It's sort of like there's still a little bit of permeating there, whereas sort of like Foggy's just, you know, coming across as, you know, very much a mother hen. Yeah, well, it's still, in, I mean, it's still around. I like the fact that Foggy's essentially ignoring it until it becomes a problem, mm-hmm. you know, until it's something that he can't ignore and then he just can't deal with it. But the, I thought particularly the first episode was just really, really strong because it showed the, the Nelson Murdoch and... You know, and, and Karen dynamic. It showed the law practice, and it's um, you know, in all its glory, really. It showed them, you know, doing what they doing what they do. Plenty of daredevil saving people, and then they changed things up by bringing in the Punisher. Mm-hmm. All in one episode, they they summed up the last season perfectly and set things up for the new season. Yeah, and um, the uh, I also I've also enjoyed the uh, you know Foggy being able to argue the law. 
you know, when he goes up against that, um, what, she's from the DA's office or something, supposed to be. Yeah, you know. yeah. No, the way the way he's. <laughs> The way he turns everything around on her is just yeah. I, I just thought I was just um, I thought damn, you know if, <laughs> I, if ever I get into trouble, I'm hiring that guy. <laughs> you know, um, I think um, I think season two suffers most, and there's no there's no engaging villain to hold it all together. You know, yeah. um, season one you had Fisk and he was brilliant and. It actually, it actually makes you ignore the fact that once once Daredevil or Matt Murdock works out the um, works out Fisk's involvement in everything, you have to watch Foggy, Karen, and Ben Urich work it out all over again. But the fact that Fisk is so great kind of detracts from uh, distracts you from that. But there's nothing like that in the second season. One of my issues with season one wasn't simply the tone, although that was part of it. The other issue was watching season one. I found myself caring more about Fisk. Uh, yeah. than about the other characters, and I realized that that was fundamentally a problem, and that well, I wasn't. Gonna... Fisk was fully formed, which is you know, which is good. Like you can sort of understand why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. Um, which which works better than I'm evil because I want to rule everyone's. You know, I want to rule the criminal underworld because because I'm a power hungry narcissist. Well, yeah, yeah. He, he wanted but to rule. The problem I had was I realized I couldn't go forward with a series where all I really cared about was the villain. I realized that that just wasn't going to work, and so I, I sort of just gave it up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how many people are watching Thor films for Thor these days? You know, that, that's the issue. You're, you're, yeah. not, you're not watching for you're not watching for Thor. You're watching for Loki, and Fisk became Loki. And yeah. once I real and once I realized Fisk was Loki, I'm like, this isn't going to work. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Um, I'm still hoping that Fisk will appear as a villain in a Spider-Man film. That yeah. would be awesome. Then I would actually watch the Spider-Man. <laughs> I think they need, you know, they need to bring Fisk back. You know, they can't, they can't really go more than one season without Fisk. Something yeah, have him a season away from it in prison or whatever, and then he comes back out, and then he becomes the kingpin. You know, that would be good. You know, and I think what they should do is maybe, maybe next season have another villain. Yeah, but basically he's working. He, he's basically working for Fisk, and while well, Fisk is still in prison, yeah. you know, Fisk is managing his empire from prison. Essentially, the good thing about Fisk as a villain, you know, I'm talking more from Spider-Man perspective here, or even Daredevil as well. You know, he can hire other villains, and then you don't really have to, um, you don't really have to introduce much about these characters. So, for instance, if Fisk sends Scorpion after Spider-Man, the only reason Scorpion's going after him is because he's getting paid. And then mm-hmm. you don't need any other motivation. I mean, that, that's pretty much the way they used him in the uh, in the Daredevil movie. Yeah, or the know. '90s cartoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, which, which I really loved. Yeah. yeah. So um, you know, there's that potential. So sometimes the, when you've got the big, the big villain, you know, he can give you a reason for the smaller villains as well. Mm-hmm. But I think what I think what the what they did for Fisk in the first season of Daredevil is they 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 gave gave us a fully formed version. We've never yep. seen that with Fisk before. He's all he's always been the guy behind everything. We've never learned why or how he got behind everything, and we now know that thanks to the thanks to the first season. Yeah, well, the nineties cartoon tried a bit of that when they, um, you know, they did flashbacks to his past and how it paralleled to his relationship with his own son. You know, he had, um, you know, he had his dad turn him in, and then he in turn made got rid of his own dad, and then his dad, well, his son chose not to turn him in, showing weakness. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, for me, Daredevil this year, I'm I'm kind of with you, Craig. It's not it's not as good as 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 the first season. There are actually parts of it that are a lot better. I just think the um, overall, I just think the lack of a central villain is is a bit you know off, well, it's not off putting as such, but you know because when the season started, I thought brilliant. This is going to be 13 episodes of 
Daredevil trying to bring down the Punisher. And that would have been enough for me. You know, and then Elektra would show up at some point. I knew she was turning up. But, um, you know, when they deal with the Punisher pretty early on and then he becomes a kind of background thing. Um, and then you've got the, the Elektra stuff and they're just trying to bring down a gang. And then you've got the, the stuff with the hand again. They don't have any kind of charismatic leader to, to hold your attention. So it's just Daredevil fighting against, you know, legions of anonymous henchmen. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the fights have been good. And, and as you say, elements of it have been better than last year. But I think overall, because they haven't got, you know, like you say, that central villain, it's, yeah. it's just sort of like, um, it's not quite as good as, as the last series. Um, I, I loved what they did with the Punisher, but I think they kind of wrapped that up a little bit too early. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about the Punisher is he can always come back, and if they don't give him his own Netflix show, or at least a Netflix film or something, then... That's stupid. They're being idiots, because he is... He's amazing. He's really good at it. He he is. I mean, I, I was actually really surprised, because I've actually seen him in Walking Dead. And it's basically the same character. Yeah, but I didn't like him in the Walking Dead cont- yeah. context. I wanted to sort of like, uh, blow his brains out. Yeah. Um, but then again, I want to blow most of that cast brains out because <laughs> I just hate The Walking Dead. I'm not really a fan of it. Yeah, I went off it um, pretty quickly. You know, I went off it after the first season, to be honest. It just I, made it, I made it to four, actually. Mm. I, I probably made it to about halfway through the second, and they kind of got stuck in that one place, and I thought, I've had yeah. enough of this. That's essentially what happens. Um, season three, they wind up in one place, and then it doesn't go so well for them eventually, and so on. So it's just a kind of... You know, find a safe haven. Safe haven, you know, dies in a, a zombie blaze of glory, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. And they move on. They move on until eventually they'll all be dead. I guess. Yeah. Well. Well. You know. So like, um, I can see it in about eighty years from now, Rick Grimes. So like, walking. You know, not having to. You know, put on makeup and um, and 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 disguise himself as a zombie. He'll be <laughs> there already. Well, there's a there's an interesting thing. Uh, there's a YouTube channel I really like called Film Theorists. Uh, and they do, you know, they talk. They use science to talk about how things might work. And they did a Walking Dead one, where they suggest, you know, where they talked about how the realistic decomposition of the zombies had went through the seasons. So eventually, the zombies are just going to decompose and not be a problem anymore. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's worth checking out if uh, any listeners want to go for that. It's just the film theorists. It's great. Yeah. Or they can become. Su- or they become superhuman. Yeah, that's not going to warm bodies territory here. I've never seen warm bodies, so I don't know what you're on about. But I was just thinking, you know, before if they became superhuman and and the central characters slowly deteriorated into zombies. <laughs> Well, they establish that once they die, they become zombies anyway. So. Yeah. I mean, it certainly feels like that when you watch it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, moving on to this uh, Deadpool thing, uh, we have uh, Rob Hater on a little bit later on, who played Bob. And, you know, obviously uh, Bob is in reference to Hydro Bob, um, who on Wikipedia, well, we do know what Hydro Bob is. He basically becomes Deadpool's partner. And I think you know a bit more about that than me, Craig, because you've, read, you've actually read the comics. Yeah, my, my Deadpool knowledge is a little bit um, little bit less comprehensive than it is with other characters. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I've seen him crop up in other people's comics more often than I've seen him or have read his own because in large doses the character really annoys me. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll leave you guys to it. Okay. Well, th- thanks for joining us, Ray So anyway. Oh, I enjoyed it. I'll see you guys next yeah, week. Speak soon. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Um, but the, uh, the I don't I mean I've not actually read that many of the comics um, hardly any uh, so for me the film was sort of like a bit of a revelation it was kind of, that kind of like my, my initiation 
Um, but it's kind of funny, you know, learning about Hydra Bob after the fact. And basically, he's described as a cowardly young man. Bob was persuaded to, to join the criminal organisation Hydra by his wife, Anison, who accused him of not being able to hold a steady job. The thought of a stable career with a dental plan also appealed to Bob, though he was disappointed to find out Hydra does not offer full dental-like advanced <laughs> idea mechanics <laughs> during Deadpool's assault on Hydra to rescue the captured Agent S. He, he, ran in, he ran into Bob and coerced Bob into helping him. Bob was hesitant as Hydra would not allow him back into the organisation after, after, after having betrayed them. But Deadpool at the time, four, four inches tall, tortured him with a security card until he regretted. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Deadpool story, right enough. It sounds like a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's Deadpool for you. He's kind of a very cartoonish character and they take so many liberties with him. They have, you know, breaking the fourth wall and, and all this weird stuff that he gets up to. Yeah, I mean, how, how true would you say the film was to, to the uh, comic? In my experience, I would say it's, pr- it's pretty true to it, but I, I quite like the idea of... Um, you know, he would turn and talk to the audience and Colossus would be like, who are you talking to? So then he would, you know, from the perspective of other characters in that universe, he's just this lunatic that yeah. talked to himself. That's that, I, I like that as well. I like the fact that he was that he was constantly breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, um, but not in, not in such a way that didn't seem, you know, he didn't really ever break it in a way that was outlandish. Because most of it, he was just talking to the audience or, you know, um, helping with helping fill in flashbacks or things like that. So, you know, it is something that other characters could look at and think, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. So, you know, he could show up in X-Men films and do the same thing, but the perspective would be, yeah, this guy's crazy, which he is. Yeah. I, um, I've got to admit, I enjoyed a lot of the, uh, a lot of the song like, um, flashbacks to other comics, and I enjoyed the, the, the opening credits. Yeah. As long as it's <laughs> Yeah, starring a hot chick, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. directed by some douchebag, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, I thought, thought that, was a, that, that was funny, and yeah, it was starring a hot chick, you know, you, you can't get much hotter than Marina Baccarat. Yeah, that, that's definitely, the, I think that's the best role I've seen her in, to be honest. I don't was... know, I mean, you know, I actually, I was reading someone else's review about it, and he reckoned that, you know, her, her uh, character was pretty thin, Oh, definitely, um, but she brought so much personality to it, I thought. She did. I, I, I like the fact that they were both sort of like very, very broken uh, yeah. people and, you know, they, they, they were kind of like swapping their own war stories yeah. <laughs> before before sleeping together and stuff like that. And, you know, she she seemed just as messed up as he was and I thought yeah. that was quite fun. I mean, she disappears for quite a large chunk of the film as well. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she ends the film as a bit of the damsel, damsel in distress, but... You know, it's hard to figure out whether they were being, you know, they were being standard in their storytelling or whether anything was, anything they did was a, you know, a jab at that kind of standard storytelling. You know, there was a weak villain, but was he supposed to be weak to point out that villains in comic book movies are generally weak? Mm, because, you know, as 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 as, as it seemed, the whole, the whole movie was kind of like ironically poking fun at the superhero genre. Oh, definitely. They were making yeah. fun of the Marvel films. <laughs> You know, they made fun of the X-Men films, mm. uh, made fun of pretty much everything. They even made fun of Green Lantern, of course. Yeah, and they even, they even made fun of the uh, of the legal system by including Bob and just calling him Bob. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was just so funny. <laughs> you know, yeah, and they, had, um, yeah, they even had a nod to the 
Deadpool appearance in the Wolverine movie with a little mm-hmm. toy. Well, I'll tell you what was I'll tell you what was kind of funny in in the interview that I'm going to play in a bit. Um, you know, um, Rob's Rob said his son pointed out to him that Bob Hydra Bob was actually a, ca- a character from the comic, and it got him into reading the comics. Huh. <laughs> and you know, so like, um, what 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 I what I want to know is how how are they going to reconcile it now because they've had Bob show up at the end. Yeah, and yeah. in the comics, Bob is kind of like Deadpool's partner. So how are they gonna how are they gonna reconcile with that? Because you know, fans are probably gonna want to see Bob pop up again. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at the um, every adaptation of characters they've pretty much done in these films, the X Men films particularly, they're they're very different to their original incarnations. So I don't think that I don't think they necessarily have to go the right way. Yeah, but the trouble is the. Um... The company that made Deadpool, was it Sony? Uh, no, it was Fox. It was Fox. Well, Fox yeah. don't have the rights to use Hydra Bob. Did they not? No. That's why, that's why he wasn't called Hydra Bob in the film. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, well, they can't use Hydra, but... Yeah. I mean, they don't have to have him be an agent of Hydra. It could be an agent of anything. Mm, true, but, you know, it's sort of like it's, 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 it's pretty dodgy ground. I, I, think, I think Sony and Fox are going to have to do some sort of deal because... Um, how likely is how likely is Sony going to use Hydra Bob? Well, Marvel. Well, well, Mar- Marvel. Yeah. Um, I think that if they do, I mean, I think if they bring him back, then they can just use, you know, they can make up some random shadowy organization that he works with and do it that way, mm. and just keep him being called Bob. And maybe maybe make him a much straighter character than 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 the Bob in the comics. Yeah, it could be. You know, because so like uh, the Bob in the comics, um, as I say, kind of described as cowardly. There. <laughs> yeah. Just just make him dead straight and aced, and that that way will make Deadpool seem funnier. <laughs> yeah. Um. There's so many different ways they can go. I think what they've done is uh, with Deadpool's really good. You know, they've made a. R-rated superhero movie um, that really worked and made a lot of money. And I'll come back to the whole R-rated thing in just a bit because it's kind of created another monster within the, the film industry, I guess. Yeah, because we're going to have loads of R-rated superhero movies yeah. now trying to copy what what they've done. But the fact is, what they did was they, you know, they got Ryan Reynolds involved, or he got himself involved, uh, who's a big fan of the character who really wanted to make this film. They didn't give them much money to do it, so they didn't, as far as I can tell, didn't really interfere with the production at all. So what you've got is a film that people wanted to make made exactly like they wanted it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's rare, and that's that should be applauded. And I think that, I mean, the, the R-rated thing, um, I don't think you need to make every superhero film R-rated to make them good. I think what you need to do is learn the right lessons from Deadpool, and the right lessons are um, make a good film. You know, get people that are involved, that they enjoy what they're doing, that know their source material, get them to craft something that's worth watching. Whether it's a 15, an 18, or whatever, doesn't matter. It, what matters is you make something that's watchable. If you make something that's good, people will watch it. Simple as that. True. But the the whole other thing is, uh, you know, back in the 80s and early 90s, you, you, you had quite a lot of R-rated films that were that that really successful. Yeah, and I mean... It, so that trend seemed to peter out, Um you know, certainly in, on, on, in recent decades where, you know, they've kind of like took R-rated characters such as um, the guy from Die Hard and, and obviously Terminator and they've mm. sort of like softened them to a point where they're no longer the same characters. But by yeah. the same token, they're pretty bad fucking films anyway. Yeah. You know, but it's... Sort of like... The thing is, um, obviously R-rated movies used to make quite a bit of money, but the problem is what you had was you had a 
with superhero films, you had quite a few non-starters uh, who just that just happened to be R-rated. I mean, I think that you know, Watchmen would never have been successful because it cost so much money to make. You know, so um, yeah. you know, you're fighting an uphill battle. When it was, I think it was an 18 over here, wasn't it? It, it was, but with yeah. Watchmen, the, the the fact of the matter is, you know, it was it was a miracle that bloody film got made to to begin with. Yeah, and um, I, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was really good, and I think more people should see it. But it's a kind of cautionary. It was a bit of a cautionary tale against making R-rated superhero films again. Um, you know, the two Punisher films, they were both 18s, I think. Um, Warzone had such a limited cinema release that there was no point. It was crap anyway. But mm. the, um, the difficulty is that they weren't making especially good films. And they weren't marketing them very well either. So people weren't seeing them. I mean, it's it's sort of like um, it's almost like you know, back in the 80s when Terminator came out, that was an R-rated. Yeah, when, when it was, when, when it was low budget out. and it was a bit of a sleeper hit, as I understand it. Exactly, and um, but you know there was enough interest there. You yeah. know, once it came onto onto video, it's almost like that secondary market of video isn't it isn't what it once was. Well, it's non-existent now because it's all VOD, video on demand, and yeah. and streaming services as well as DVD and Blu-ray. But they, they saw like um, you know when they made Terminator, they didn't make it for video. It no. just so happened that once it was released on video, it really, really took off. Yeah. Whereas now they seem to purposely make things for video in the hopes that they're gonna sort of like become big hits and stuff like that. It's sort of like yeah, I mean, Dread's another one that you know was a great film that deserved deserved to do better than it did. But the biggest problem with it is I think it wasn't very well promoted. You know, mm. you get a trailer here and there, but nothing. Well, nothing on the scale of Deadpool. I mean, Ryan Reynolds was everywhere for mm. months promoting the film, and obviously that put it in people's minds all the time. I think the problem with Dread as well is, you know, so like um, in terms of mainstream um, appeal, it's only really hardcore 2000 AD fans that, that, that really, really know about what, what Dread's like. Yeah, but, you um, know, you have a lot of 14, 15-year-olds that will enjoy a, just a violent film. You know, and um, they, they missed out on that market, certainly. Plus, the fact is, Deadpool's only a 15 over here, which, you know, doubles or triples its audience, really. Mm. Um, so we, we did it a favour. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and I don't think it was excessive. It wasn't too violent. Now, a lot of the violence was very kind of tongue-in-cheek as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I don't really like excessive violence, and it wasn't too bad for me. Yeah, I thought the violence was actually quite cartoonish, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I think it's it more fun. the language that it got the rating for. Yeah, and and the language was, you know, for me it was quite tame. I mean, yeah, it dropped quite a few f bombs, but you know, um, you know, if you if you live in live in certain areas of Manchester, that's all like what you get every other word anyway. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but you know, in films, it, it tends. It's supposed that the Americans are are against swearing. Mm-hmm. And we're against sort of. I think yeah. it's, it's sex we're against in the UK. Apparently. Yeah, I think the Americans are against the uh, swearing and uh, violence and intense violence sort yeah. of thing. Whereas here, here in the UK, we we just don't like sets unless it's yeah. after nine pm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, or you know, sort of like it's it's a really weird difference between the culture. It's sort of like it's just strange. You know, yeah, it's very weird. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's almost as if uh, we in the UK have never seen a pair of boobs before. Yeah. The, the way they, you know, the way they sort of like the sense the censorship works here. Yeah. You know, because you get you get some incredibly tame films shown after nine pm because of the sexual content. And mm. I'm thinking, why is this on at nine pm? Why is this on after Watershed? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit crazy. Um, 
I think people just got a bit too funny about it. Mm-hmm. But Deadpool didn't seem to annoy too many people. It didn't. I think, you know, I've got a feeling it's going to do well again once it goes on to DVD. Yeah, although there was the um, was the, the idiot parents that took their kids to see it um, and wondered, you know, and thought it was going to be a tame superhero film and had to walk out. It's like, you know, they should tell us what we're expecting. It's like, what, like with the rating? <laughs> you know, it, it's there on the poster. Dear me. You know, they, they may, maybe they should have read the kids' comics. <laughs> maybe. You know. Um, or just, you know, watch the trailer, look to the rate, or just look to the poster. It's like, hmm, this is R-rated or an 18 or whatever. Maybe I won't take my child to see this. Yeah, but you get, you know, you get parents that buy their children 18 plus video games. Yeah, and I was one of those children. So I was like... playing Grand Theft Auto when I was uh, 14. Yeah, I was... Uh, or younger. I, I was like one of those kids as well. Mum would get 18 movies when I was about, so like, uh, 10 or 12. Yeah. And watching, you know, so like um, Conan the Barbarian, when that came out, I was a 15. Mm. Well, you know? I guess, I mean, my parents sort of gauged that I could handle it. I think one of my earliest memories of seeing a film that I wasn't ready for was the first time I watched Halloween, um, mm. the original John Carpenter one. And I must have been about 11 or something. And I watched it, and it was because it was on TV on a Friday night or something. And I, and I watched it, and I had nightmares for weeks. Yeah. You know, weeks. <laughs> I just wasn't ready for it. I've never had an experience like that. Um, I think the nearest thing was when I went to see a- E.T. back in 1983, I think it was, mm. when I was a, when I was a kid. And I was so traumatised by, by it that I cried my eyes out in the theatre. And I've not seen E.T. since. Every yeah, time it's on, cries at yeah. But every time, every time it's on the TV, I turn it over because I'm just so traumatized by it. I don't <laughs> want to see it again. <laughs> I watched it. I rewatched it a couple of years ago for the first time in years, and it was it's a good film. But you know, it didn't move me the way it obviously did when I was a child. Mm. Amazing how these things change over time. Yeah, the thing is, I, I didn't watch it because I was traumatised by it, and, um, you know, I'm not the sort of person that's moved to tears that easily. No, me either, <laughs> so, 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 that that then that got me in the right old state, so I'm not going to watch that again. <laughs> and it's an interesting experiment, revisit it, you know. Nah. Be prepared. Nah, <laughs> you know, so like, um... I'd 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 um I'd have to have a girlfriend that's sort of like into torturing me to do that. <laughs> That'd be the only way that she'd be able to torture me. You know, just strap me to a chair with you know yeah. with matchsticks holding my eyes open <laughs> to watch ET. You know, I'd be like, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, summing so, so, you know, up, I think you know I really enjoyed Deadpool, and I want to see Bob again. Yeah, I just. I want to see more of that character, you know, and the sequel's happening and it will allegedly have Cable in it, and um, that'll be good. Mm-hmm. You know, I like Cable. Yeah, but thumbs up for Bob, you know, because yeah. the, the, the brief scene he has, he make, make, makes a really big impact, <laughs> e- even though he's unconscious most of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I liked the, the final the final battle. It was, it was mm-hmm. well done. And, um, they were definitely on a helicarrier, which is a bit strange. Yeah, they probably nicked it off Agent Coulson. Yeah, well, I think it was designed slightly differently, but I remember the first time I watched that, I was looking at it thinking, is that a helicarrier? Well, mm-hmm. you know, it's in- interesting, you know, speaking to uh, Rob Hater about it, he's actually been in all sorts. He was actually one of the stunt performers in Man of Steel. Mm. Um, you know, so he's, he's done that. He, um, he he was a, I think he was stunt coordinator for, um, but, you know, he did did a bit of work on the Captain America video game that was released oh, right. prior to the to the film. 
he's been in Stargate, he's been in, been in all sorts. So, you know, so, so it was really interesting speaking to him. And I think on, on that note, uh, we shall introduce the, you know, now, now it's time for the interview with uh, Rob Hater, um, a.k.a. Bob. <laughs> so, you know, yo, Bob. <laughs> I love you, Wade Wilson. We can fight this. You're right. The cancer's only my liver, lungs, prostate, and brain. All things I can live without. What if I told you we can make you better? You're a fighter. We can give you abilities most men only dream of. Make you a superhero. You just promise you'll do right by me. So I can do right by someone else. And please don't make the super suit green. Or animated. One thing that never survives this place is a sense of humor. Uh, we'll see about that, Posh Spice. Oh, come on. You gonna leave me all alone here with less angry Rosie O'Donnell? Wait! You may be wondering why the red suit. Well, that's so bad guys can't see me bleed. This guy's got the right idea. He wore the brown pants. Hear the music. God, you are hard to look at. You look like the topographical map of Utah. I am very turned on right now. You are haunting. You look like an avocado had sex with an older avocado. Thank you. Greetings, Munchkins. Did you like that dose of green band goodness? Hankering for a little more action? Some big boy curse words, maybe? Check out DeadpoolWebsite.com for my red band trailer. Make sure to ask your mommy and tell her to call me. She's got the number. I'd like to welcome very special guests to our show this week. Uh, this week we have um, an almost near legendary stunt performer, Rob Hater, uh, joining us on on, on on the series, and um, it's it's quite quite a funny one. This one because I've I've just um, I was looking through IMDb. He's done all sorts of stuff uh, with Stargate, um, you know, the, the Superman movie, Man of Steel. You you pretty much done everything. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of shows I've had the, the good fortune of working on, Ian. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I guess the first question to get started with is, uh, how, how did you get into stunt work and how, how did that sort of move you into uh, towards acting? Well, it's odd because I sort of started off as an actor uh, in, the, in the late 80s. Um, that's originally how I got into the Performers Union. And then um, I, I began training in the early 90s in a, in a martial art form called Capoeira with uh, Master Eggleston de Jesus out here in Vancouver. Um, and so I sort, of, I sort of walked away from acting for a little while. Um, and then a friend of mine who was a fairly prominent stunt performer in town was training Capoeira with us. And he found out that I had uh, an acting background. He, uh, he figured that I should try being a stuntman. Um, and so I sort of followed his lead and ended up uh, becoming part of the stunt community here in Vancouver. And that's kind of led me back around uh, to acting again, which is kind of an odd pathway. But that's how it worked for me. Mm-hmm. Capoeira, uh, I'm not sure if I'm announcing it right. Is is that kind of like that Brazilian mixed martial arts where it's That's um, yeah where it's kind of like more of a dance than it is? Yeah, we used to we used to uh, call it um, let's see uh, like Muay Thai meets Taekwondo meets break dancing. Mm-hmm. I guess is sort of a, a good image for it. There's 
uh, a lot of martial arts aspects, and they combine Brazilian culture and dance and, and music all into one form, which is quite unique. Yeah, I, I think I remember seeing a, a film about it years and years back. I yes, can't remember the actor's yes, name. Uh, Mark, Mark DeCascos, Only the Strong. That's the one, yeah. Film. Yeah. He, he go, goes into a, <laughs> goes into an inner city school with trouble kids and teaches them how, how to do it. Yeah, yeah, very common theme in Brazilian culture, actually. The capoeira is used quite a bit for that. Um, very, very rooted in the in the slums and the favelas of Brazil, that art form. So, um, I guess question, you know, this is kind of moving towards your stunt work because you um, you both stunt perform, but you've also been a stunt coordinator on quite a few projects as well. That's um, correct, yeah. When, when you actually get hired to do stunts for, for TV or movie, what sort of information do the production people actually share with you in terms of what their vision is and, you know, what they, they want you to do? And, and what would you say is the most challenging set piece you've had to do? Oh, boy. Um, that's a pretty complex question. Um, usually when we're first hired, uh, the stunt coordinator hires us and he has the overview on the project. Um, and then what will normally happen is we'll go into some sort of a rehearsal scenario um, or we'll go to set on the day when we're executing the stunt if it's a minor stunt. Um, and from there, we'll be sort of filled in on the details of where the stunt fits into the story and what type of stunt and what sort of execution we're going to pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of your stunts are actually fight choreography. Yeah, yeah, I've done a fair amount of that stuff. So you've not done any driving or anything my, else? My specialty has mainly been fight choreography and martial arts. Um, I've done some fall stuff. I've done some uh, what we call hit stuff. Um, one of my bigger gags that I was kind of well known for was uh, a car hit I did on a, a feature film called like, I Love You, Beth Cooper. Um, and I won the Taurus World Stunt Award for that particular stunt in, in 2010. Cool. I'm, I'm kind of jealous now because I actually got hit by a car about five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it ain't a lot of fun. It, it's, <laughs> no, I, 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 it's funny actually what happened. I was actually, uh, it was my nephew's 18th birthday and uh-huh. I was heading to the party for the adults and my plan was I was going to run to my sister's, get a shower, get changed and then go over to the uh, to the party with my sister. Right. Anyway, um, I got to a pedestrian crossing. I had right away across the road and, you know, the night was on, on green so I could go, the green man. So I, I, I dashed across the road Ah, hit me and clip me and I saw it I kind of somersaulted over, hit the windshield, bounced off the windshield and then somersaulted back over and I landed on one foot. <laughs> and kind of ambled towards the ambled towards the sort of like the traffic island in the middle and I was looking to carry on but you know everyone got out of the cars really really concerned <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. And there was no, there was kind of mud squirting out my ear and and stuff like that. It was a, it probably got more gruesome than it actually was. But wow! I, I couldn't walk for about two weeks after that properly. No joke. Man. No <laughs> oh man, it yeah. hurt. You know, it's, uh, it's one of the it's one of the more feared stunts uh, actually amongst stunt guys because it's really unpredictable when you're hit by an automobile. Mm. Well, well, thankfully she was probably only doing about twenty or thirty miles an hour. That helps. <laughs> <laughs> and. I think what probably saved me was the fact that I was I was going at pace as well. So oh, I think yeah. I think physics probably saved me. <laughs> physics could be your friend sometimes, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that that's, that's probably my most uh, most daring stunt. Wow, it's possibly more daring than mine, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Com- complete accident. I- I'm surprised I didn't go through the windshield because I'm like 15 stone. I'm a big guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> physics working for you again. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, one, one project that you've not long since finished work on is a uh, Lucifer, um, yeah. and you know you were stunt coordinator. Um, for that uh, what sort of things did you do, do do on that show because it's kind of like in terms of action it's quite light yeah um, yeah well the, the action on Lucifer tends to lend itself more towards the development of the script rather than sort of the action for action's sake it's not really an action series so much um, there's uh, without sort of giving away too much of the season um, um, we've actually seen it all so far because we we're, nice. we're, we're actually in, in, in tandem with what's happening in the US perfect well then uh, you've probably seen uh, a couple of the ratchets uh, like through plate glass windows that mm-hmm. sort of thing um, there's been a bit of fight work that we did early I think that was episode 2 and 3 um, there was a, a big accident uh, in the pilot in the op- series opener uh, that was actually coordinated uh, by Jim Vickers who's a stunt coordinator out of Los Angeles um, and uh, you'll see some more fight stuff uh, as we sort of progress, I imagine. And uh, some more uh, sort of ratchets and wire work in there as well. Sort of the bread and butter of that show. It's, you know, there was an episode, I think it was episode three, where he just sort of, like, he just flips his hand and chucks something yeah. through a plate glass window uh-huh. quite quite some distance as well. Yeah. Was that you on, that, on the other end there? Or was that sort of like somebody? Oh, the the gentleman that went through the, uh, through the window is a stunt performer out of Vancouver. His name is Tommy Europe. Um, um, he was doubling the actor on that particular stunt. Um, so he traveled, oh, that was a good, I guess, probably about 15 or 20 feet through uh, through plate glass window and then uh, to the ground. Uh, and he slid backwards into a desk on that gag as well. So it was a pretty heavy-duty stunt, uh, yeah. particularly for a show that is quite comical. Uh, generally speaking, it looked quite technical to me, you know. Because, yeah. you know, to, 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 to propel someone that distance, it's you know, all it, sorts of safety concerns of that. It's, it's a lot of physics. I mean, we sort of spoke of that earlier, but really, the you know, the, the modern state of, of stunt work right now is really more about science than it is about bravado, um, in a lot of cases. Um, you know, on that particular gag, we used a fairly complex hydraulic ratchet. Um, you know, we had to go in a couple of days beforehand. There was a, a rigging system that was built into the location, and um, we rehearsed a lot uh, for that particular stunt. Um, and we ended up on the day only having to shoot it once, which, of course, is our, our best case scenario as stunt performers. You want to go in and, and do the job and be safe about it and uh, have everyone go home. So it's a bit like the uh, loop the loop stunt from uh, the James Bond film, Man with a Golden Gun, only with a person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, because I, I remember yeah. seeing a documentary about them doing the stunt for that, that record, loop the loop sort of jumping, Man with a Golden Gun, which set a record at the time, I think. And um, they, were, they were using a computer to work out the physics of that. Yeah, yeah, very similar stuff. I mean, it's that sort of science that we we really take forward with us into the stunt work nowadays. Mm. Yeah, I'm like, um, I've, got, I've, got to, I've got to ask you this. Are you familiar with a film from the 70s called Hooper about the stuntman? Burt Reynolds? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing it at a little theatre in small town Alberta in Canada. Mm. It's, oh, wow. That, that goes way back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's another he's another stump for former that went into acting. Yep. You know, yep. he, he just did fall work and, you know, catfalls and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an interesting crossover, right? Because the certain people are more sort of inclined to just the physical performance or you know they they specialize in driving and they don't really want to be in front of camera but there is certainly a a group of us that that do that crossover which is kind of fun Mm -hmm. 
Um, a big movie he was involved with, um, which has gotten a lot of attention of late. Um, well, well, before we get to Deadpool, um, I wanted to ask about Man of Steel, actually. Um, what, oh, yeah. what, what, what did you do in that? Because there's quite a lot of uh, death and destruction in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the, the Man of Steel gig was fairly small. We were uh, I was part of a group of guys that were on uh, the oil rig um, when Superman comes in and sort of saves the day and everything's on fire in there. Um, so it was more of a general, uh, a general stunt position. The, all the guys in that uh, in that set uh, were fully protected in fire gear and gelled up, and um, so we were more there just to uh, to be within the environment with Henry and uh, you know sort of stay out of harm's way and make sure he stayed out of harm's way as well. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the function there, as well as provide some lighting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we can do that from time to time. <laughs> Uh, um, another big movie, you know, the big movie that you've got getting a lot of attention for right now is uh, is Deadpool, in which you yeah. you got to do a combination of stunt work and acting. Yeah. <laughs> And in that film, you, you kind of play Bob, which is kind of like this role. I think it's based on Hydro Bob from the comics. Were, were you actually aware of that connection when you when you got the role? Oddly enough, I was completely oblivious. Um, you know, we I, I do a lot of sort of soldier and, and mercenary and, and this sort of thing as far as acting and stunt combination goes. So, um, you know, when Rob Alonzo and Philip Silvera, the, the stunt coordinators on the show, brought me in, um, I knew the character's name was Bob. I, I knew a little bit about Deadpool, but uh, I, I didn't realize the, the Easter egg that was sort of being built into the shoot at that time. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, got, it's quite funny some of the stuff that's been going viral about it since. Well, it was quite fun because my my son's a, a graphic novel fan, um, right. so he he'd read a bunch of the Deadpool comics, and so I came home and we were talking about what I'd done that day and what the character name was, and he said, "You're Bob," and I said, "Well, yeah," <laughs> and I, I kind of went, "Well, you know, Bob or Sam or Phil or you know, generic kind of guy name," and he said, "No, Dad, Bob's a character. He's he, he's in Deadpool all the time. He's kind of Deadpool's sidekick," and I kind of went, "Oh, well, that's good to know." <laughs> So I started reading the Deadpool comics, and all of a sudden I realized that Bob was kind of a kind of a phenomena. Um, so it's been pretty fun. It's uh, it's been in- really interesting to watch the fans sort of embrace that particular cameo, and and uh, you know to sort of be a part of the whole thing has been really really kind of exciting. Well, given the legal stuff, because uh, I think the only reason they couldn't embrace it and just called it Bob, called him Bob, was because mm-hmm. they don't have the rights to use Hydro Bob. <laughs> so that's my understanding. It, it was it was kind of like never get away. <laughs> way of getting him in there you well, it, was, it was so funny because Ryan of course is a big Deadpool fan and, and Tim Miller and, and the writers are all Deadpool fans which is how the film got made really um, so you know it was kind of a, a kind of a Deadpool way of putting the character in you know there was a bit of that kind of na 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 that kind of cheeky Deadpool style of doing things kind of played out and putting the character into the film which was which was kind of fun, art, Im- art imitating life a little bit. Oh, absolutely! I loved the film. I I, see, I went to see it a few weeks ago. Um, um, right, right after Holly told me that she she, she was so like her, she was interested in hooking us two up. Yeah, yeah. For this, and um, I, I I went to see it, and I was just I was I was smiling. There was a big cheesy grin on my face for days. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's such a fun film, right? I mean, you're you're laughing literally thirty seconds into the credits. Absolutely, you know, the opening credits. They're already taking the piss out of themselves, which is part of the fun of the whole film. Mm -hmm. And you've also got little little Easter eggs with the with a lot of the road signs as well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I kind of really enjoyed that. Um, I mean, the action in the film as well, totally crazy. Again, oh, wow. lots of wire work and, yeah. and, um, and, and, and stunts and stuff like that. Uh, did you double up for any of the other bits of the film? No, I mean, the mercenary scene at the end was the bread and butter of what we did. That was sort of the group of guys that, that did all of the, the work in that particular section. Um, you know, I can't say enough about the stunt team on the show. Um, Rob Alonso is a really well-respected second unit director and, and Philip Silvera, of course, the, 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 the stunt coordinator, fight coordinator for the show. He's the coordinator on Daredevil right now. And, um, you know, it was just sort of a moment in time, I think, in, in the stunt community. It was just a really great group of people to work with. And we were all really excited about being there. And, and they did a heck of a job. I mean, the action is, is, is fantastic and really complements the story as well. So, you know, they, they were great. Can't say enough about those guys. Yeah, I mean, I hope they make a sequel. Uh, I, it's, I think it's already been greenlit. Yeah, I, I, I think it has as well, but it's, it's kind of like there's a little bit of uh, uncertainty about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, with with the, um, you know, there's a lot of fans that are kind of, has this been greenlit? Has it really been greenlit? Are they going to do another one? <laughs> You know, what about Bob? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. What about Bob? Hey, Ryan, what about Bob? <laughs> well, I mean, it, the I think Fox would be, uh, I mean, after the, 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 the financial and, and critical success of the film, to not do a second film would be sort of ludicrous, um, really. There's, I mean, there's so much material there to take into another film. Uh, the character itself, I mean, he jumps all over dimensions and all over time. Um, I mean, it's really sort of a character that you could really create a limitless number of stories for. So to not make a sequel just doesn't make any sense at all, really. Yeah, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm up for the sequel when it comes out. <laughs> I'm definitely up for it. You and millions of others, apparently. <laughs> um I'm not, you know, there's, um, I've, I've heard a lot of good, good things about Ryan Reynolds. Uh, what, what's he like to work with on the set? I mean, because, um, like, he, is he really as funny as the character in real life? Oh, it's, it's, this guy is ridiculous. Like, he's just, he's ridiculously talented. Um, he's a joy to work with. He's just a super nice fella. Um, you know, he's, he was really generous to the stunt team. To me as an actor, he was really generous. He's, uh, he's witty and intelligent. Uh, he would come up with things on the fly, on set, that were gut-wrenchingly funny. Like, there were times when the whole stunt team would break out laughing in the middle of a shot because he was just, like, just like literally, you just couldn't control it. He would just, like, come out of left field with something and sideswipe everybody, and that would be the take. Like, we, that would be it, because everyone would be laughing. Mm -hmm. He's he's hysterical. He's, yeah, the, the dude's awesome. I can't say enough about Ryan. He's a pleasure to work with and just a... a Kind of a creative genius, <laughs> to be honest. Yes. <laughs> It's it's a, it's actually a shame that they couldn't get the film made sooner because I remember him doing doing Deadpool in in Wolverine, which yeah. suddenly 
you know, it was complete, completely different character, yeah. uh, but still quite funny, <laughs> but more restrained. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that, oddly enough, you know, this was a real passion project for them. And I think it kind of turned out the way it kind of was supposed to, in a way, because they got they got time to really create something that was really special. You know, they got to maintain creative control to a certain extent. So he Ryan could make Deadpool Deadpool, as opposed to sort of a cardboard cutout of Deadpool, you know? Um, so to me, in a way, it's timeline wise, it kind of turned out perfectly. You know, it, it gave them a time to uh, uh, some time to really build it. It gave the fans time to sort of come in on the on the leaked trailer and really voice what they wanted. And then after that happened, the studio was kind of gone. You know, what what choice did they have really uh, mm. but to go ahead with it and support it? I mean, look how it turned out. Absolutely. This, is, this is what happens when you're passionate about a project like Ryan was. So it's good on him, I think. It's quite Quite amazing as well in the sense because it's kind of like the first R-rated genre film that's really <laughs> that's really sort of like hit you know yeah. and made made an impression in quite some time yeah. um, and you know because you've had to you had recent spew with Terminator films that have actually sort of like taken on Terminator started off as an 18 and dropped it to 15 and then it's been a 12 and stuff like that and you know you yeah. just can't do a Terminator movie and make it a difficult 12 well, I, I think it has a lot to do with the subject matter too right like Ryan was really adamant that he wanted to stay true to the original material and X-Men is a I mean pardon me you know Deadpool is uh, is not X-Men Deadpool is Deadpool he's smarmy and he's uh, overtly sexual and he's got a foul mouth and you know this is you know for, for Superman I'm not sure an R-rated movie works well mm-hmm. um, you know but for Deadpool you can't do Deadpool without it being an R-rated film yeah and, you know and um, you know it can be Deadpool be smarmy and overtly sexual and um, wind up with Morena Baccarat. I mean, it's like it's every guy's fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's, you know, that's the style of Deadpool. It's, that's, that's who the character is. That's who the graphic novels are. That's the material that's been created. So you can't really make a Deadpool without it being that kind of film. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's time for a film like that, that sort of honors the graphic novel roots of, of what the character is rather than kind of just doing a film that's going to be able to be seen by uh, as many teenagers as possible. You know? yeah. Well, you know, working in Canada as you do, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing you, you you do do work elsewhere as well in in Los Angeles sometimes and stuff like that. Um, you travel. I have, I haven't gone down to Los Angeles much. I mean, I've been down to Mexico with Elysium uh, when we were working on that. Um, but most that of film. my work is Vancouver and, and Canadian based. Yeah, Elysium. I I actually quite enjoyed that film. I think it's yeah. it's one of those films that didn't necessarily take, but you know, it's got a bit of a cult following. Well, I think it's another one of those passion projects, right? Like. Like Neil Neil Blomkamp's another one of those guys that he's just he's pushing the envelope of science fiction. He's pushing the envelope of, of commentary about society and how we make films and how we look at films. And I think that was you know the real joy of, of Elysium for me was that you know it was kind of we we jokingly referred to it as the biggest independent film we'd ever been a part of because I mean Neil built it from the ground up. Mm, looks massive and expensive. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> 
just I'm, I'm, I'm just one just wondering where they had to cut corners there because on the screen it just looks massively expensive well you know I think the fact that Neil comes forward with such a detailed uh, package of visual art really saves time and money on those projects and his background in, in uh, computer animation uh, also really helps and he's just got a really great team of people behind him I mean what eventually ended up happening of course with that was that Sony came in and they they came on board the project and that's sort of where you know that that great product value that you see on screen comes out I think you know if Neil had uh, had a smaller budget available perhaps the CG aspect of it wouldn't have been quite as developed but um, you know again he uh, he believed in the project and Matt Damon believed in the project and the studio kind of followed their lead and uh, it looked great you know it was a fantastic film I thought yeah I, I really enjoyed it it was, um, it was one of those surprise packages I yeah. think um, having having been involved um, in, in, in the Canadian scene as either a stunt performer and actor um, you, you've kind of done quite a lot of science fiction fantasy and comic book projects um, would you say you've kind of become a fan by association or were you kind of always a fan anyway? Oh, I was kind of always a fan. I mean, ever since the original Star Wars as a kid, right? Science fiction sparks the imagination, you know? Um, you can fly, you can have laser sword battles. I mean, that's uh, that's sort of the roots of what kind of brought me forward into film and television to begin with, you know? Battlestar Galactica, and Star Trek, and Star Wars. I mean, that's kind of the roots of our, our generation's storytelling in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, to, to have a career where I got to be a part of, you know, the Stargate franchise, and, um, you know, uh, the Sanctuary franchise, and, um, you know, to have done bit parts on shows like Supernatural and Arrow. And I mean, it's kind of a dream come true in a lot of ways for a guy like me, you know? Yeah, I mean, if, I think if I'd carried on my acting, I probably would have moved out to Vancouver. <laughs> 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 but it's a I, good place to be. It's a good community. I kind of got, I kind of got bored with the acting. Sort of went into writing and music, <laughs> and that's my thing. Well, it's 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 a challenge, you know. Uh, a career as an actor is uh, is is really uh, daunting. It's, um, it's there's a. a, a not a lot of people who actually are able to succeed. Um, mm. it's, a, it's a tough, it's a tough road to go. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, there's a lot of people that go into it, expect, you know, with, with this expectation that they're going to be stars. <laughs> and it's yeah. going to be glamorous and, 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 and stuff like that. Um, and I actually got as far as actually doing a little bit of television. So nice. I, I am, I am aware that, you know, so you're well aware. For, for, for a little bit, or for, for about 30 seconds on the television screen, you're probably going to be waiting around on the set for anything for about five to six hours before you get called. Yeah. And then yeah. you do the same thing over and over again for the sake of uh, different camera angles and different lighting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, for something that's so exciting and glamorous and all that, it's quite a, it can be quite a, a pedantic process from time mm. to time. You know, it's a really detailed, painstaking uh, process to go through to, to achieve what the end result is. Yeah. It, I think I think it's why I never left theatre. <laughs> you know, I, I stayed I stayed involved in theatre um, yeah. and didn't do too never never strayed too much to television. But you know, theatre really gives you that sort of one on one experience, right? It's uh, it's it's a lot more organic. You you interact with the energy of the audience. It's uh, it's uh, it's its own kind of joy, I think, as an as an actor. Plus, it's more fun when you forget your lines. <laughs> Because no one yells, God! <laughs> <laughs> and you're usually relying on someone prompter from the side of the stage and going, and you know, and sometimes you're sort of thinking, you know, you're in trouble if you're partially deaf in theatre. 
and, and the prompter's going, shouting your line at you and getting exasperated. It's ringing <laughs> fun. <laughs> it's always an adventure on stage, that's for sure. Mm. <laughs> yeah, when walking, yeah, I, I, I've never been partially deaf, so I never had that trouble. <laughs> and I, I've seen it happen. <laughs> oh dear, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, we never had, never actually had stunt performers in theatre either. Well, it's interesting in theatre, you know, because part of the theatre training, and this is part of the joy of working with someone like Tom on Lucifer, um, is in in Great Britain. There's a, you know, there's a classical tradition of actors. So an actor, you know, you get stage combat training and you get fight choreography training as well as your vocal training and your movement training. And so, you know, in theatre, it's sort of expected that you have to be a stunt guy mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Yeah. Oh, I did a, I did a lot of musical theatre, so it was a different kind of stunt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I kind of did musical theatre, but couldn't dance. So, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so, so I was actually, I was actually in trouble. <laughs> I thought, I'd better buy a guitar and learn a play. <laughs> that way I can chorus actually do something. Chorus for you. One thing that caught me eye about your work on, on your IMDb profile is you, you actually did stunt work for the video game Captain America Super Soldier. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, how, how, how did that work out? Because so like, I should imagine as, as, as technology advances, doing video games is getting, getting closer and closer to doing television and film, you know, green screen work and that. Wow, yeah, the... The, the more recent work, um, the last game I worked on was uh, game, Gears of War, the Ultimate Edition, um, which is also, it, it's a really fascinating process because the worlds of film and the worlds of video games are really starting to cross over now. Um, you know, the cinematics in most video games is quite extensive, and there's a lot of storytelling that goes on inside the video game, um, in addition to the gameplay stuff. and. And the, the, the eye that people have for quality, the, the gaming companies are really looking to achieve that level of sort of feature film quality of animation, which is, it's a really exciting time to be a part of, of, of making video games, um, you know, and it really helps me in, in my film work to sort of have an awareness of how to create uh, CG work inside of uh, a video game format um, because it's starting to transfer over now into a film format. We're starting to use more and more green screen and more and more motion capture. So it's it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think the downside is having to wear one of those ridiculous spandex suits with the ping pong balls on. <laughs> I, I got to say that one of my, my favorite things is bringing in stunt performers and making them wear the, the, the skin tight suits with the balls all over them. It's for, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, joking and, and frivolity that kind of goes into those. You know, it's really easy to make fun of a 265 pound former MMA fighter when he's wearing a, a spandex suit. It, uh, it makes for a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I'd be embarrassed. I'd actually hire somebody off the street to go in and replace me. <laughs> well, suck it up, man. This is your job. I'm <laughs> Oh, dear. They, they, they look mad. 
Um, oh. You know, it's one one of the games I like. I go for the FIFA games, the, the soccer series. And, no great you know, work. It's um, it's just so like, it's absolutely fantastic the way they can so like, do it now. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. detailed stuff. I mean, and it's so cool now because you get into the games and you're capturing actual human motion, and then as a player, you get to see the command of that human motion while you're playing. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really crazy. So having just wrapped on Lucifer and all, all mm-hmm. the buzz you're enjoying from Deadpool, what are you working on at the moment? You, you got some TV work going on at the moment? Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of just performing a little bit right now. Um, I've got a, a small acting part on this new Van Helsing series uh, for mm-hmm. sci-fi. Um, and also just booked a, a small role on uh, Arrow. Oh. I think they're on season four now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of in the immediate future. Um, the My friend Dan Rizzuto, um, who's the fight coordinator for us on Lucifer, uh, he's directing an action film called Cavallo that's shooting in June so I'm probably going to be coordinating the action on that film um, and then we just kind of sit tight and, and hope that uh, folks like Lucifer enough to bring us back for another season because it's a uh, it's a fun show to work on that's for sure yeah it's, it's kind of it's kind of slowly been taking shape as Lucifer you know I've been yeah. I've, I've been hard on some episodes because I'm actually a fan of comics <laughs> I'm a fan of yeah, the comics, yeah. and I prefer the Lucifer in the comics and the Lucifer that Tom's doing. I mean, Tom's doing it, he's knocking it out of the park, but it's just yeah. like it's too locked into the procedural thing for my liking. Well, it's one of those things, right? They had a choice to really try to follow along with the comic book or to really uh, to, to make their own thing. Um, and, you know, I'm a fan of the comic as well. And I got to admit, I was I was a little bit disappointed that the, there wasn't more material taken from the comic that was put into the series. Um, but, you know, Tom Capinos and, and the writers over on Lucifer, they've got their own sensibility to the character and they're kind of creating a different thing entirely. Um, which is, it, it's, it's kind of fresh and it's kind of new. So it, if, if I, I sort of look at it removed from the comic book, I go, wow, I really enjoy this series. It's kind of fun and, um, it's, it's clever and there's good acting in it. Um, but as a, as a, as a Lucifer comic book, a Neil Gaiman fan, mm. I kind of go, well, I'm kind of torn here. So yeah, I I'm, I'm, get I'm, that I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of hoping we see, see a bit more of the, of, of the dark side of Lucifer. I mean, I like the, I like the, two episode art that he just recently had where you know his wings got stolen yeah. and he went completely yeah. off the rails yeah. and I kind of want to see more of that I think you know without without tipping the hat uh, you know without tipping the hat too much uh, I, I think you're going to see more of that material and the, the the great thing about the writers on this series is that they're so active online they're so active in their Twitter feeds and they're so active uh, with their the, their relationship with the fans that I think the more fans voice where they want to see the series going, the more fans get active in the series. I think you'll see the series go in the direction that the fans want it to go. Mm-hmm. Well, so. you know, you've got, you've got a gig on Van Helsing. That's so like, uh, I'm quite looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, you know, you got Neil LaBute over there and you've got Simon Barry over there. Like, wow, that's a lot of creative juice. Continuing. You know, these guys are, are, are fantastic creators and fantastic writers so i'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with that show yeah well from from my point of view the you know van helsing the movie was sort of like one of those things it's it sort of like it didn't, didn't do too good yeah with critics and and yeah. fans 
Um, but I, I, I've got it on DVD and planning to revisit it before I watch the series mm-hmm. and, and see 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 how different the two are. I um, think, yeah, I mean, ha- have a look. I think that they're doing a complete reimagining. I think, from what I can see, just from the pr- the material that they've released so far. Mm-hmm. You know, well, they're they're imaginative guys. They're gonna they're gonna go outside the box on this. I imagine. Well, Simon Barry is for sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm still I'm still trying to figure out uh, the second half of Continuum. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Rob, thanks for your time. It's been brilliant speaking to you. Well, thanks for having um, me on the show, and Ian, I really appreciate it. And and you know, good luck with the with the show, and and I hope to chat with you again sometime. Here at SFP now, I think we're pretty sure we um, got our priorities straight. And that draws to a close, uh, another fantastic show. I'd like to thank uh, both Craig and Risa for you know coming on at the start of the show to do the conversational bits. I'd also like to thank Rob Hayter for sort of like, uh, giving us um, a good half hour of his time. And um, I'd also like to thank my friend Hoggy for helping set all of this up. So, um, so thank, thanks to everyone that's been involved in, in getting this uh, on the air. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks' time with uh, more discussion and hopefully more interviews. So bye for now. Bye.